Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I was saying in the discussion, um, you know, I, I feel like if, if there's going to be a discussion about different religions, it, it's unavoidable to appeal to logic. So that's, I think, one of the areas where we're having a disconnect was, for me, religion isn't divorced from the realm of logic or the objective, because if we're going to say, well, I believe this and you believe that this other group believes that. Like there's got to be a way to delineate between the two, especially if you think that like Paul was wrong. So doesn't that kind of necessitate like ways to, you know, argue about why Paul was wrong? Um, if we, uh, if the, if the conversation had been framed or the question was posed back to me, like, can you just tell me why you think Paul was wrong? I can go into those things, but I'm not sure that that's what you're looking for. Is it? Well, but, is but, it? Right. So, the, but the way that, like, the, the argument that I got from you was that you feel like religion is kind of different from the domain of debate and logic. I took you to be saying that. Well, I think debate and logic can enter into religious uh, discussions. Okay. 
but that's not the not in any way the basis for what religion is. And it seems like we were running into an issue where you wanted to base the religious right. concept in an argument or a discussion. Yes, I do believe that uh, that happened. Yes, I do believe that. And I and I just disagree with that. I I don't. Okay. So we're Granted. going from so, just two so different. So now we right we know we differ there, but the argument that I'm making is on that very point where I'm saying if you come to the table, for example, though, and you say Paul's wrong in X Y Z, even though you may not perhaps realize it, like that's relying on logic. That's relying on rules of argumentation and logic, or else you couldn't be able to say Paul is wrong here and there. Do you not think that? Um, I, the reason I don't think that is that my basis isn't rooted on X, Y, Z, um, positions. It's rooted on revelation. It, I'm just told that Paul's wrong and I see, and I understand because it was revealed, not because I figured it out. Okay. Right. But that's not a, a viable a thing to appeal to. Do you understand why I would say that? Um, in, in your, in, to, it's not in, viable in to you. Paradigm, in, in any paradigm, because it would undercut the possibility of knowledge. If there's not a way to have like publicly accessible objective truths, then it would seem to me that the whole position that you're arguing for, uh, is just purely relativism. Do, do you know what relativism is? I'm not trying to call you out. It's an honest question. I think you might be right. I might be arguing for that position. Okay, well, the problem with, right, so if you, if you do have a completely relativistic position is that it's a fundamentally self-refuting position. That's, the, that's what I was trying to get at in the debate. How does it become fundamentally self-refuting? Because if I were to say that all truth is relative, the statement all truth is relative is also therefore relative and thus self-refuting. The statement that all truth is relative. Right, because it's a universal truth claim, right? That's denying universal truth claims. So that's what relativism is, is? It's the claim that all truth is relative? Yeah, I mean, it, it has different forms. Like you could be an epistemic relativist where you think all knowledge is purely subjective or relative to an individual or their experience. You could be an ethical relativist where you think there's no kind of right and wrong. It's all just, you know, whatever floats your boat. I mean, there's a lot of different types of, you know, you could be a social relativism. There's different forms of it, but typically what it means is that there's not any objective truth. Everything is conditioned by just the individual's phenomenal experience, and that's what I'm saying is completely, I think, self-refuting. To me, I, I wouldn't say that my claim, I mean, a claim like that would be, again, like a persuasive argument or the... This is the way I see it. It's like if I were coming to try to convince somebody, no, you're wrong about truth because all truth is relative. That would be something I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything like that. Well, but I mean, you did would make I, statements like that in the discussion. You said things like, well, that's your personal subjective experience. You can't judge other cults and other religions. That's what you said. Hmm. Maybe you meant judge in a different sense, but I was meaning it not in like a, a personal sense, but like in the sense of like, oh, that religion is false. So for you to say Paul is wrong, that's a judgment call. You're judging. But I'm not, depending on, I'm not depending on my deductive logic to determine 
that he's wrong. Oh, I've just wait. been shown. I've just been shown through revealed truth. Okay, but to I mean, I understand that you're appealing to revelation, and we're going to appeal to revelation too. But appeal, you still have to have a place for an explanation for these kinds of rules of logic. And I mean, just to even make sentences requires like certain logical categories and structure. Uh, so again, if, if you say Paul's incorrect, even if you appeal to like, you know, the Rancho revelation or whatever to say Paul's incorrect, mm -hmm. it still has the, the argument still has a logical form and a structure to it. So in other words, you can't call things false at the same time as saying that you're like a subjectivist or a relativist, like the two things can't be true at the same time because not something can't be false. Okay. In a, rel in a relativistic worldview. It's just Well, I, I don't think what I'm claiming is that things are ontologically relative. Like, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. And forgive me, I'm, I'm not like an academic. I'm not a scholar. I'm, I'm a fabricator and an engineer. I work in aerospace. I build test equipment for engineers to test the stuff that they're making. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a builder. I'm like a fixer. I repair machines. Like, that's the type of thinker well, I am. Then you I'm should, not a word, I mean, the, the, wordsmith. Like the, right. So like the the notion of the objective should come like firsthand, right? I mean, don't the things that you work on ha work on objective principles? Yeah, absolutely. And we okay, test them so to find out if exactly. our idea right. worked right. and then the results of the test is the evidence. I agree. And so the things like, for example, uh, some equation that goes into the production of something in aerospace, right? Like I would just, I'm, and that's not my field, but I have a friend that works uh, on, uh, Blackhawks, and he talks about how you know the like you can't get the equation wrong, right? Or else the aerodynamics are going to be wrong, right? I'm assuming that's the yeah. case. Okay, right, absolutely. So, so the so the the conceptual realm, these these abstract uh, equations and whatnot, have to accurately correspond to what you're doing in the material world with the metal and whatnot when you're making the plane, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a correspondence between that conceptual mental thought realm and the external realm and world that we all share and the fact that we can all yeah and that's the test that's where we that's where we cross over right. from the thought realm and the calculations into the physical is when we test exactly i agree and, and so what i'm saying is that as a philosopher you can do that same type of a thing where you look at things like language and arguments and they mm -hmm. have that same type of structure where there's rules to making arguments and to making claims and to making propositions where you have to follow those rules. So you right. can't, you can't make bad arguments to prove a position is what I'm trying to say. You can make a bad argument, that, that, but that's, it's not, that's, a good it's not going to prove the position. Right. And I don't think any argument proves a position. Okay. Well, that right there is self-refuting because that's a universal truth claim type of argument that's relativistic and self-refuting. Because it's still, I, I have to, uh, try to understand. You need uh, you need to help me a little more to understand. Because let me let me see. It, to me, so that's in, in, in engineering, in engineering, let me let me. Okay, right. go ahead, go ahead. In the type of work that I do, we like the analogy would be like this, right? That the argument, the the logical framing, the word aspect, the logic mm -hmm. of it, right. that's all worked out in computers, graphs, mm -hmm. models, um, equations then we know if it's right after mm -hmm. we make the thing in the physical world and put it through an experiment. Right. What we don't know until the experimental data comes back, then we know, but it's okay. not in the calculations. That doesn't prove anything. It's proved in the test. Sure. 
And the the explication and argumentation shows the coherence and logical real status of the laws of logic. So you can't go to an argument or a debate and bring a bunch of bad equations to a debate and expect the debate to work. Does that make sense? That's the analogy that I'm trying to make here is that the rules and laws that would apply like they do in your field, they're going to be the same, not the exact same, but I'm saying the principle of it is the same in logic. So you can't say something like all truth is relative or um, there are no arguments for anything objectively true because that's a universal okay. truth claim about a universal state of affairs relating to logic and truth. So it's self-refuting. Okay. Well, that, that puts me in a weird spot because I don't, because in my world, the way that I think, it's like if I were to say to one of my engineers, none of these things are um, uh, usable until they're tested. And, and it's like as if one of my engineers would say back to me, well, have you tested that? That's self-refuting because you didn't test that statement you just made. It's like, well, no, I'm talking about testing. Let's te let's put the rubber to the road in the religious concept or the logic. Let's say if we have mm -hmm. the framework of the thought patterns all set up in a row, that's fantastic. And and I I like like maybe you could just be of assistance to me to work out the logic of saying what I'm intending to say. But then also let's take it a step further into the real world. And that's why I was trying to go to the personal things with you, not as a gotcha uh, stab at you, but that's where the test is. To me, the test is what effect does it have in the real world? Like in your life, what is the result sure. of your beliefs? And that's the actual evidence, the fruits of the spirit. And when we uh, get, uh, right. uh, when the plane flies, then we know the equations were correct. They, they look correct on the page, but then when it flies through the air, we know that they also align with reality. Right. I'll grant you that. That's uh, actually a good point. And I would say that, yes, when it comes to like lifestyle. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. All in how we live, that is the real, you know, rubber meets the road as to whether one authentically believes what they say they believe. Absolutely. My only problem with that is just that, like, in a, in a discussion where we're focused on, like, the objective realm, I'm not trying to deny the subjective or say that it doesn't have a place. It's just that it doesn't really come into play when we're comparing paradigms or worldviews. It does come into play when, yes, you're you know interested in knowing that person directly or what their life's like and that kind of stuff. But when I got there, I was under the impression that, you know, you know, James had said, I, we want you to, I want you, I thought you agreed. He said, I want you to d dismantle the worldview. Uh, so that's why I engaged in that sort of you know rigorous trying to call out the the, the contradictions because that's what my understanding of calling out a worldview is is doing mm. that right so i mean in the world of internet though like you can't really know you know what a person's day-to-day -day life is like you know you'd have to be in their life 
So that's why I'm not against a personal testimony or somebody talking about how, you know, Christ changed their life or whatever. It's just, I don't think it's that relevant in a setting where you have a clash of worldviews just because nobody really knows. Like, I mean, I could be completely making all that up, right? I could just be saying, oh yeah, Jesus changed my life. I mean, literally there's probably a million different groups that could claim that there's a quote Jesus who changed their life, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or call you out, but like you say Jesus, but you don't mean the same thing that we mean. And that was evident by the you know, end of the debate where we were talking about the Trinity and, and uh, you know, people were, at, were telling me that your, y'all's conception of who Jesus is is that he's one of the many sons of God, right? Like there's 700,000 or something like that. Um, yeah, something like that. Right. So I'm not trying to unfairly present your position. I'm just saying that that's why early on in the discussion I was saying, well, we might use the same words, Jesus, sons of God, whatever. But we don't mean the same things. That's what I was trying to say. And what I was trying to say, and I hear you, and what I was trying to say is that um, there's more than one bi- way to build an airplane. But if it flies, it flies. And if you are saying that yours is the only way to fly, and then if I prove that there's another way to fly, were you not wrong? Okay, but a thought experiment isn't an argument. Like it's not, it, you can oh, use the thought experiment was, and debate to like bolster. I, again, case, I, I but, agree. I, and, and we had conceded that, I mean, I had done my best to concede that I'm not here to argue and win or prove anything through argumentation. What I was attempting to show is that um, if, if your, it, I was actually asking, is your framework of belief falsifiable? Is there something I can do to show, is there any way to test whether or not what you're saying is true? And find right. it wrong if it was wrong. Like, if it was wrong, what would that look like? So, I understand what you're getting at with falsifiability and unfalsifiability, and that's why I was talking about paradigms, that it's not a thing where you, like, judge the entire worldview on the basis of this or that piece of evidence. So, it's a little more complex than that in terms of how we go about comparing worldviews. Because, like, if you let me give you an example. So, there's people who are evidentialists and they believe that, like, you could, uh, if you could convince an atheist that Jesus rose from the dead or that it was possible for Jesus to rise from the dead, then maybe Christianity is true, right? So, we're not talking about me versus you, but people will go out and make this argument, right? Or they'll say, Mm -hmm. Jesus's uh, disciples were scared and then after the resurrection, they were bold. So, that proves the resurrection. So those are evidential type arguments that I don't typically do because they're not good arguments. So they might be persuasive to some people, but they're not sound arguments. They're non sequiturs because they, they will, I think, present a bad case for Christianity, as I understand it, because it doesn't follow from the fact that people like how to change in the way they live that Christianity is, or that version of Christianity is therefore true. Because you could have people who, experience all kinds of moral reformations or changes for a various, you know, host of reasons. So what I'm saying is that there's got to be another way that we delineate between true and false religions. Now, maybe you don't agree, maybe you disagree that there is the possibility of even doing that. What we say is that, what I argue is that there is, there is a way to delineate between competing religious claims. It does utilize logic, it utilizes debate, utilizes, you know, apologetics. Uh, and the way to do that is the same way that we go about, you know, disproving or uh, analyzing any type of thing, except that in this case, 
it's unique because it's not a fact. It's not a piece of evidence. It's an entire worldview. So that's why we're going to have to compare worldviews, the Christian paradigm versus whatever else, right? Orthodox paradigm versus Muslim versus, uh, you know, Protestant versus atheist, whatever. So it's not like mm-hmm. a piece of evidence that we're going to have to dispute over. It's going to have to be two rival conceptions or paradigms of giving an account for ethics, for metaphysics, uh, for, for knowledge. So that's, that's a and paradigm, so- that's a worldview. What would be square one for me in order to start presenting that to you with regard to the Urantia papers? Well, let me put it like this. Like when you, so the way that we, when I hear you say that you're not going to make an argument, but to say Paul's wrong, for me, that is an argument. So you said, well, he's wrong because X, Y, Z, and my book says this. And so regardless of whether it's a good argument or a bad argument for you to say Paul's wrong because the Arantia book says that he's wrong. That's, that's an argument. I don't mean arguing. I'm saying that that's a counterclaim to the, to the, to the claim of our religion. Okay. So, so, it, so then I, it's I thought a it question. Was, I so, thought it was so, just like but, a, uh, uh, I'm making a, like you said, a claim, a statement, a, yeah. uh, a proposition. I'm right. I'm just. I'm saying the conclusion, but I'm not showing my work. Right. I'm just correct. So what um, I would yeah. say, right. So in logic, you have to. Uh, if you make a claim or an argument, typically what we would say is, we got to have a justification. We need to see why it's true and explication and justified true belief, basically. Well, what is mm-hmm. something true? Well, you can give an account for it. You can give an explication for it. You can show. Yeah, show your work. That's a good way to put it. So the only thing I really offered was, as far as I can tell, Jesus's message was one thing, and then it was after the resurrection, it turned into another thing, and Paul created that, and I'm going with the Jesus one, but then you said that those are connected. So that's where you started, that's right, I remember that, Um, we looked at a few texts in the Gospels, and then I asked you, what is the, like, how do you know that that's the way to read, you know, Gospels and Paul, and you said, because your Andrew book says that. And I'm just saying that, okay, but that's not a good argument. I need to know a better way. Yeah, and I was just like, and I don't care. (laughs) And then didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. So Um, for us. What would be a good argument if there was one? What would it look like? What blanks do I need to fill in? Well, the counter argument that I was giving to you was that I think our religion has a great continuity between the Old Testament to the New Testament. The way the Old Testament predicts what Jesus is going to do and the continuity between Jesus and Paul into the, the patristic church period era. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's hard to demonstrate that continuity. I know that you believe that there's not a continuity. So that's why I was kept, I kept pointing out, right, but where is the discontinuity? Like we need to see it. And you said, well, but the Rancho book says there is, right? So, but I gave a lot of examples of where, where I think that then we can go into more scriptural examples, but it's going to depend on kind of a holistic. I think the difference is that it's holistic, right? I'm not saying you can't go to the different texts, but right. You know, it's for us, there's a continuity from Abraham, right? And what's in Genesis, the promise to, to Abraham about the Gentile nations, you know, what happens when Christ comes and fulfills those prophecies. I don't, obviously I don't disagree, or I don't think Paul taught a different doctrine. Um, so I see, I just see a, a clear continuity between all those things. 
And I'm just confused on, because it's new to me. I've heard Muslims make the argument. They think, you know, that Paul taught a different thing. But I just don't, I just don't see it. So I need to see a clear argument as to where and how there's a different theology. And I think the things that you said, like, well, Jesus taught brotherhood. Jesus taught, uh, you know, the sort of communal spirit with the Father. And then Paul started talking about resurrection. Uh, I just, I don't see the arguments that you gave as very convincing because I gave you multiple examples of where I think the kingdom is identified as the church. Uh, Jesus talks about what his, uh, you know, death is going to be, what it's going to do. I just don't see the discontinuity there. Would you like to go into that and try to see if we can go into it right now? Or should I just work on it later and come back? Well, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh... I mean, I, I think I get I what you're saying. That you're gonna, I mean, I can see that you're probably going to pick out some texts, but what I'm trying to get at is that that in 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 the midst of these texts, you have a governing presupposition, which is what I'm trying to to key into, which is okay. that there is this discontinuity. Now, maybe there is, but like the basis for the belief in the discontinuity is it from the Urantia book, or do you really think that? There's nothing in the Gospels that's like what Paul teaches. That's where I'm confused. Um, I have examined the Gospels, and I see a discontinuity between what, even within the Gospels, uh, removing the Urantia papers from the conversation completely, the Gospels mm -hmm. themselves, in my perspective, show a discontinuity between Jesus, even also the prophets about Jesus, and then what Paul says about Jesus, well, there let, is let, Let's a start split. with that Old Testament. So uh, with what the prophets say about Jesus, can you, can you hint, uh, zero in on that? What, what do you mean? Well, you had mentioned the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to uh, refer to those, again, there's uh, patternistically, there's right. a reference to the, the death and the rebirth mm -hmm. and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And... To me, that's absolutely fulfilled. Okay, but and but, even also, but we don't even Je agree who Jesus is, though. First of all, right? So you you would say he's a creature. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just that's what you said, right? Um, I don't know if I should uh, say that I'm. Well, to me, that doesn't matter that much. He's absolutely part of the deity. In the the structure of the deity itself doesn't uh, change things okay, for me. So he is, he is, hold on, right? But so wait a minute. So if he's part of the seven hundred thousand sons of God, how is he part of the deity? Well, those are a in a way. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, and again, the book goes into more specifics of understanding what it means. And we're talking about things that are literally beyond. They're beyond the beyond. These are the these are mystical natures of of God and how He creates things, and we're. We're little tiny mortals on a ball in space time. And, but we're talking about these things in, in the framework of our, you know, monkey conceptions or whatever, you know? But my way of saying that it is, it is like the eternal son, which is an aspect of the Trinity, fractal manifests itself at another level of creation as all the, uh, all the paradise creator sons. And you can call them multiple sons, but they're all actual personalizations of the one eternal son. Okay, yeah, that's Neoplatonism. We, we don't believe any of that. That's, that would say, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying like we, that we think that would be, that's literally out of Gnosticism. Like that's copy me, and pasted Gnosticism. Here, I'm, I'm not familiar with that part of uh, Gnosticism. 
Well, I mean, they taught this sort of pleroma and they, pl- they taught these emanations and gradations. For- With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From the one into the many. And, and that's not what, what we're saying. We're saying that, that there's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who from all eternity created the world and the angels. So there's not like gradations of of uh gods like down from like there's there's the uncreated and there's the created so everything created is created it comes into being at a certain point in time it's not uh half god it's not part god it's it's creature there's different types of creatures certainly but everything that's a creature is created as a beginning point in time and other than that the only other reality that exists is god himself father son and spirit from all eternity who's not a creature so yes creation in different ways and modes is made in the image of god it reflects you could say different aspects of god i would agree with that but we don't like um do that it's just very neoplatonic to do this thing where you have like these emanations and sort of different gradations of of godness down into the created order so maybe you're not meaning to use all that sort of have uh, weighted philosophical terminology but that's what i hear you say when when you talk about that god is ref- refracted into all these sons of god yeah well that's now, fair. Like, so, I, I don't so know. Let, let's let's go back then to the old test so what do you see as uh unclear in terms of old testament prophecies and who christ is what what do you mean there um, the part where we break down is when we turn Christ into the atonement for sins. On the, his death atoned for sins. Well, that's, okay. Before that, we get yeah. to it, okay, right? I understand that you, place. right? I get, I got you that you, you don't believe that doctrine. But before we get to that doctrine, um, so there are you do believe in a lot of these prophecies, right? So we mentioned like the ones in Psalms, but do, do you believe that? A lot of these other verses in, say, Genesis about the, you know, the descendant of David uh, being the, the, you know, having the royal scepter and basically being the, the fulfillment of the kingdom and all that. Do you believe that all, all these other books in the Old Testament also prophesy the Messiah like Isaiah 53 or not? Uh, I, I, there's a mixed bag. Um it's going to, it's, I'm, I'm learning from this, how handy it's going to be for me to have like, just at my side, a list of the prophecies and right. itemized like perspectives on each one. I'm not that, I'm not okay. at that level. Let me ask you this. Let me put it a different way. So we have, for example, the principle in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, that 
the revelation that comes after the Torah, after Moses, the, the principles laid down in those two chapters that there can't be contradictions to what's in the law of Moses. So for example, it's kind of laid out as a norm that any true prophet or true revelation after what's stated there has to be in conformity to the Torah. So my, my first concern is, do you believe that the books of Moses are corrupted or do you accept the five books of Moses and the Torah? And does it not seem to follow that a true prophet kind of has to be in line with the, the law of Moses? I don't um, find that line of thinking influential on my beliefs about Jesus at all. So hold on. So, so, I'm, so I'm almost, so, I'm, almost okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm like really decided one way or another. I just haven't concerned myself with that very much because that's not the root of what makes Jesus who he is. Okay. So again, we're back to like really different, radically different conceptions of who Jesus is. And so for yes, example, absolutely. Right. So from what you're saying, it's very similar to, and I'm not, I know you're not a Muslim, but we have a lot of discussions and debates with Muslims in here. So what you're saying is very similar to the Muslim argument about who Jesus is. And that's why it oftentimes comes back to the Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets. So I know that there's a, an ancient text called the law of Moses. And I know that there's prophets after Moses who preach in continuity with the law of Moses. And I know that in Matthew 5, Jesus says that he gave that law to Moses and he's in continuity. The Jesus of Matthew 5 is in continuity with the Torah and the prophets. So what I need to see, again, on the principle of Deuteronomy 13 and 18, is that any new revelation, it's got to conform to prior revelation. And what I'm hearing from you is not anything that conforms to what's in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. I'm hearing Gnostic and Neoplatonic ideas. Okay. Well, the the forgive do, me. Do you admit, like oh, let me put it this way: Do you admit that okay. God spoke to Moses in the law or not? What's your view on that? No. Okay. So, so you're so the the Jesus that we're talking about, we find we, um, wow. So. Does it not stand to reason that what's earlier is the correct one? And uh, and, and if if it's if if that's not the right Jesus or God, uh, on what basis is that not the right Jesus or God? Now you're going to say the Urantia book, but how do we know that that's we, we need some way to judge between the true and the false texts? It seems to me that you have a. Uh... What's the word? It's presupposition. A, a, a correct. A premise. Right. A premise about Moses. Um, that what he wrote down was mm -hmm. directly from from God. Absolutely. In, yeah. yeah. And now, but see, but here's where I'm confused because you've said. Well, how, how you, do you prove? What's your argument for that premise? Well, I'm going to show you that you've already admitted that because you've already told me that you do accept that these psalms and these things are telling truths. Right. But then you just said you don't accept the Mosaic revelation. Which well, to me, it's to me to me it's like this. Um, you know how there's people who trust, uh, forgive me for the example, it's a metaphor, it doesn't prove anything, but That's it fine. might be helpful for you to see where I'm coming from. So people would, there's, on one side, people are saying, 
Trump has, you know, 247,000 proven lies. But the debunkers will say he's just lying, 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 right. lying. And the other side, people will say, I like Trump because he tells the truth. Well, there's something true about the way he's saying things that aren't actually true. He's saying things all the time that aren't empirically complete, 100 you know, on their face, true. But there's something true about what he's saying. It reveals the truth through saying it that way. He's lying in the true direction in a way. So I'm not saying that Moses is lying, but what I'm saying is he that he was aiming at a truth that is in things. Like there's a lot of inaccuracies in the letter of the law. There's a lot of things that are irrelevant essentially, but it's not completely false. It's actually in line. It's absolutely the truth. But does that mean every single thing he said was an inspired truth on its face? No, it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of like Trump. It's like he was to me. Just yeah, to finish I, this off, I got you. Right. What, what so, Moses actually was is he was guiding the children toward their destiny and the way he did it was just the most effective way. And that was okay. relevant to the time. It wasn't for us or anything like that. Written. Okay. So, uh, again, there's been an appeal to the Psalms and to these things where you said that these things do predict future events. But now there's an appeal to the fact that it's not really doing that. It's more like there's some kernel of truth amongst all these sort of random things. Now, something can't be prophetic and predict the future and at the same time also like be full of error and be mistaken because i need a way to why know. not because i need a way to know from you on what basis you're going to sift through the text and tell me which ones are correct and which ones are wrong and i'm not hearing that because those texts say that that new revelations have to be consistent with the previous revelation right so what is the criteria? What is the way to know when I can cite the Psalms and when it's wrong, when it's error, when it's uh, nuance, when it uh, doesn't really mean what it says? I mean, because the Mosaic Law says it means what I, it says. I think, there's, I think there's no way to do that at all unless, okay, then you can't, you're, okay, unless, unless you're given a higher perspective to see it from than you can achieve on okay. your own. How do and that's what revelation that what is. Been, right, but what is what is now the new higher revelation, which is a very recent revelation, mm -hmm. is not in is is not in continuity with the previous revelation and in fact it is picking and choosing and doesn't give you a clear epistemic way to know. And that's why I just appeal to any other cult and I say, yeah, but what are you going to say when a Mormon says the same thing you say? How do I know whether the Rancho book or the Mormon uh, Book of Mormon is true? Um, it's just more coherent to me. How is it coherent if it's completely contrary to the previous revelation? And if you don't have a way to know when the previous revelation is wrong or right, other than appealing to what you're talking about, it's a circular appeal. Well, it, your premise is that it's completely contrary. And I would say that it isn't completely okay, but, contrary. But, but it's not going to work to say that, well, I'm going to accept uh, this psalm, not that psalm. I'm going to accept uh, this section of Moses, not that section of Moses, because it's arbitrary. It's ad hoc. Because it, it's, I mean, we know, let me ask you this. Do you agree that the book of Moses is earlier than the Arantia book? Oh, of course. Okay. Is it, is, are the Gospels earlier than your book? Yes. So we have a claim to prior continuity 
your book is new. Anything new has got to match with the previous revelation. Your book admits that in some way it's previous revelation. And what I'm pointing out is that it's really only previous revelation when it works for your book. And then it's arbitrarily not revelation when it doesn't work for your book. That's a cult. But, okay, your um, premise there is that the earlier things that you cited, Moses' writings, the Gospels, if they're partially wrong and partially right, then they're completely wrong. Right, because you can't have uh, a situation where the revelation is arbitrarily mixed like that. Like, th th you're not going to have a way to, because it's, the revelation itself explains that revelation. So it's going to tell you to what degree it's correct, and it is the Word of God. Jesus says, no man, you man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill Yea, I tell you that not one jot or tittle from the law of Moses will pass until all things are fulfilled. So Jesus, the Jesus that we know is in continuity with, you know, what Moses talked about and what those prophets predicted about what he would do. But what, what I'm, again, trying to stress here is that the Jesus that you're talking about is not in continuity. You said it's not in continuity, but you're also appealing to our text to try to prove some kind of continuity. And, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not being mean when I say cult, but like the book of Mormon does the exact same thing where they say, we have a commonality with you. It's just that, uh, the book of Mormon and morals and dogma, uh, or, uh, uh, the Pearl of great price or whatever that su surpasses the previous erroneous revelation of, uh, you know, the old Testament and the new Testament, the, the, the this, this is the exact same argument that the Muslim gives. The Muslim says, the Quran surpasses your old argument uh, of, of the, you know, Jesus being in continuity with the New Testament. And what's, what's common amongst you and the Mormon and the, the Muslim is the uh, double standard of, on the one hand, I'm going to appeal to the Old Testament when it works for me, and I'm going to reject out of hand any of the texts that don't work for my, my book. Now, what I'm saying is unique about our view and I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to prove it to you. I'm just saying that the reason I'm making this argument is that I think this kind of wipes out from the outset Mormonism or Urantia or uh, Islam is that I can look at the Gospels, I can look at what is going on with Jesus' life, and it's in perfect continuity with the Law and the Prophets. And I think that that's a huge proof if we look at what the law says like Deuteronomy is very clear. It's very explicit about the warnings that if a new prophet comes, he has to teach what's in continuity with previous revelation. So that presupposes that there's going to be a standard, a benchmark of prior revelation. In this case, the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, and every pre uh, every coming prophet, be it uh, Isaiah, be it David, be it Hezekiah, it doesn't matter. They're going to speak in continuity with the previous revelation. And that's why when, when Islam, for example, was presented with this kind of argument, they went so far as to try to try to argue that uh, Muhammad is predicted in Deuteronomy, right, which is kind of lapped at nowadays. But that's the point I'm trying to get at, is that if, if, if there is the admission of the validity of the law and the prophets, which all three of you, you the Muslim, the, the Mormon, there is the admission of this, then we need a way to know 
what the standard is. The standard is always the appeal to your book, but our books are older and they're in continuity. At what point did I uh, admit the validity of the law and the prophets? To what degree? Because you've already said that your book appeals to different areas of uh, David and different, I mean, you told me that it does predict the future about Christ in some sense, right? Uh, It does predict, yes. But does that mean that it does that mean that everything in the law and the prophets is um, divinely inspired or yes. applicable to our times? Yes. And I mean, what, that's what can you make that argument? How how does um, some accurate predictions in a text prove the absolute validity of the entire text? Well, first of all, it's not some accurate predictions. I'm, first of all, going by what that revelation says about itself. So while uh, this may not be a convincing argument as to prove it, uh, it shouldn't be very controversial that the Mosaic Law and the Prophets, they claim for themselves that status of being the divine, fully inerrant Word of God. I mean, just read Psalm 119, right? The whole psalm is about God has spoken perfectly, fully, inerrantly in the Mosaic Law. It's a whole psalm based on the Hebrew al- alphabet touting the the greatness of the Mosaic Revelation. So for us, that's not a problem. Like we would, we're in full continuity with that, right? Because again, it, it's Jesus Himself who says in Matthew five that not a jot or tittle from the Law of Moses passes away. He didn't come to do that. He came to fulfill everything in the law of Moses. What does he say to uh, the the disciples on the road uh, in Luke 24? He says, and then he opened the scriptures to them and showed to them everything in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms about himself. So he basically opens up the scriptures to say all of this previous revelation, all these books from Genesis to Leviticus, to Isaiah, to the Psalms, to the historical books, they're about me. I, and I agree with that too, but I just don't see, I don't read anywhere. But, but hold on, you don't agree with that, but you don't agree with that. Uh, That's what I'm trying to get at. Is I know you're saying you agree with that, but it's not agreeing with it the way I'm I'm explaining it and saying it. It's not the Okay, same. okay. Well, let me make the distinction between the bit that you and I disagree about, which is that I don't see, and maybe I just haven't discovered it and somehow I'm missing it, but where is it in the Law of Moses or the Prophets or anywhere is it said that, that the death of the Messiah will be an atoning sacrifice for sins. Well, first of all, you have to go back to the I could, I can I mean you could go through all of the Old Testament and come up with this doctrine in many many places. Uh, so first of all, in the events that happen in uh, Abraham's life, so those sacrifices that he does, like in Genesis seventeen, uh, Genesis twenty two, those animal sacrifices are all typical of we would say of Christ, they predict what he's going to do, right? When uh, he's taking uh, Isaac up on the, the mountain in Genesis 22. So there's, the, there's, these, there's this requirement of animal sacrifice that God has throughout all this period. Can we Not, go one by one with those? Would that be all right with you? Well, yeah, I, just, I think that I'm if we do that, it'll, it'll be okay. It's just, okay, just so a you, tendency for the Christian answer to be like a gish gallop of like a bunch of things that aren't actually saying something, but altogether they're saying something. Okay, you don't think that there's animal sacrifices in those texts? Oh no, don't 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 straw man. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. There, well, you are, there are animal doing, sacrifices. You, you accuse me of gish gallop where that's not. No, I just want to I just want to stop you before you do. I'm not accusing. You. I'm saying if you if you go on there's a 
it might happen. So I'm trying to head it off. Okay. So uh, Leviticus, right? Why do you think there were animal sacrifices? Because previously to that, there were human sacrifices. Right. And what Abraham was doing was heading right. them off from a I satanic agree. practice of human sacrifice and giving a substitute of a scapegoat right. practice. So it was in the direction of eliminating the concept of sacrifices one step at a time. I agree with that. And then, in fact, and then you had brought up Abraham's son. And what that is to me is an illustration of Abraham showing don't sacrifice your firstborn anymore. Stop doing that. And look, I, agree. I was going to do it, and then God told me, don't do that. So now we don't do that anymore, okay. guys. We agree with that. Uh, church okay. fathers make that argument. But the fact that that's there, does that mean that that's the only meaning of that passage? So one thing I noticed in a lot of the way that you present stuff is that it's usually reduced to the event means that. Okay. Uh, it can mean that and other things. So let me give you an example. Is there a day of atonement, and what does that mean? The whole book of Leviticus, what does it mean? It was, um, in my layman explanation, it's, right, it's like that was their practice for mm -hmm. dealing with this cultural conceptualization that they had about personal and tribal um, purity. And so part of their concept of the covenant with God was to maintain a level of righteousness that was that's the way it had so far been decreed mm. to them that they were to make themselves a set apart holy nation, a righteousness. Uh, there was a righteous morality aspect. Yeah, it's to their, called the Day of Atonement covenant with God. It's called the Day of Atonement, and, and the Day of Atonement would be this this thing that they would go through in order to reestablish a, a clean slate. Correct, and it involved yeah. what blood sacrifice, right? Do you remember right. Genesis? What happens in Genesis four? You got What's me. the what, difference what between Cain and Abel? What's the difference between Cain and Abel? Oh, yeah, two different types of sacrifice, right. Right, one is one grain the other. and one is an right. animal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from the time of Abel up into Abraham, up into Leviticus where we have the Day of Atonement, you remember the scapegoat? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know what, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm saying, do, do you know what the scapegoat is? Sure, sure, the sin is transferred on to, to the, the goat, goat and then you and he goes goat. where does he go on the altar no he's taken outside the city and killed he's oh yeah off a cliff right right mm -hmm. he's taken outside yeah, the okay. city to die right uh-huh now in a lot of these uh uh levitical ceremonies you also have uh this is a mention of deuteronomy as well you have meals right so on different days and different feasts you were supposed to bring your animal sacrifice and the priest sacrifices it and cooks it, and you eat it with the priest. So you're eating the covenantal meal, right? So there, there's multiple things at work here. There's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Pentecost, right? Okay. All the stuff's in the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So all these things are in the Levitical law. They're in the Mosaic law. They have a specific meaning. They continue. And there's also uh, a priesthood, right? There's a priesthood that's mentioned in uh, Genesis 14. That's what? The Is this the Levites? I'm not no, sure. What's the, the it's the Melchizedek, right? So oh, the, the priesthood okay. of Melchizedek precedes the priesthood of Aaron and the Levites. So then by the time of the, the Levitical law, you have the Levitical Mosaic priesthood, and they do all of that at the temple, at the, the altar and all that. And then we get this uh, statements of David. David ha- makes these predictions, and these promises that one's coming uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest eternally according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we know that that's not uh, Aaron's sons because they're not eternally priests according to Melchizedek. But somebody's coming to be an eternal priest to do an eternal offering somewhere, somehow, because David predicts this. There's a promise to David that his seed will sit on the throne forever. Now, in the debate that we had, I asked you about the text about when did Christ sit at the right hand of the Father? Well, the New Testament tells us that when he ascended, he sat at the right hand of the Father, right? So in other words, for us, I'm, I'm giving you examples of how we still have a priesthood. We still have a priest who offers eternally the Melchizedekian offering because Melchizedek is a direct image of Christ. And yes, the Levitical priesthood is an image of Christ too. But what I'm saying is that the idea of atonement and where it comes from all comes out of the books of Leviticus and the law. It's all mosaic idea. And what Christ comes to do, in our view, is no different than any of that because he gave that law to Moses because it was all about him. Luke 24, and he, he told them and explained to them everything in the books of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets about himself. So everything in Christ's life, not just the parables and the teachings of brotherhood, but everything relates to what he's coming to do at the cross, which is to destroy the power of death. Death for us is an angel. Death is a demon called Satan, the devil. So he has the power of death. And what Christ did in taking on human nature and destroying the power of death in human nature and descending into the realm of, of, of Satan, Hades, to destroy Satan's very throne there in Hades and then resurrecting was to raise us from the dead. So it's a physical and a spiritual resurrection. It's not just spiritual. So that's a completely different message that we would say, again, there's all those predictions in the Psalms where David, speaking in the spirit, the New Testament says, predicts that his soul went down to Hades. Now, David didn't go to Hades, at least not when he was writing those texts, but David was prophesying of Christ. Christ's soul did go to Hades. That's been the ancient Christian doctrine of the descent into Hades. So Jesus, as I told you in the debate, Jesus says, as, the, as Jonah was in the heart of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, there's many, many, many passages that we could keep going to. But one thing I noticed is that when I started talking about those passages, what you do is the thing where you say, well, but I don't accept those. Right. Those are the ones that I don't accept, or it doesn't mean that. But what I'm saying is that our consistent doctrine makes sense of all those texts, right? We have a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You don't have any priests because you don't have an offering and you don't have an altar. But this is a key point that we know our religion is the true religion. 
because we do have the one altar. We have the altar where you eat Christ, who himself is the priest and the offering. And he fulfills by that action all of those things in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. He is our day of atonement. That's such a coherent argument. And maybe someday I'll be able to make an argument like that. I think it will be amazing if I get to that level. And I can, I mean, obviously this is why you are, you are who you are on the internet, right? And I'm nobody yet. I'm somebody who's done 30 podcasts with James Fox Higgins, and I'm just a guy who builds helicopter parts. Um, but I am um, somewhat of a, <laughs> not even an authority. It's an obscure book, but I have a personal in-depth knowledge of it, and I'm examining the Bible in the light of it. So while I heard what you just said, now, and, and I get how they all they all go together, and one leads to another. It paints a complete picture. And though they are parts of the picture that if any one of those Jenga pieces gets pulled out, the whole tower comes down. So they all do need to individually stand as well. Would you agree? Uh, I, uh, yeah, the reason I I'm asking I is I, I want to, if, is this the appropriate time where it wouldn't be just like a dodge, but can we drill down to a couple of those that I have question about so that sure. we can, yeah. we can examine it together and I can learn too. I mean, I just learned a lot from you right now okay. to, to hear sure. your perspective, man. I wish, man, if I was a better host, the show would have gone like this, but lesson learned. Well, we can do another um, one and we can try to avoid the, you know, getting heated like that. But, uh, you know, that's, yeah. it happens. People get heated. It's okay. Yeah. I'm used to it. And we got, we got framed as a debate, which was more than what you, you, you kind of nailed it at the beginning of, uh, when I just got in here, what I intended was I, I really wanted to just talk to you and get, I wanted to get to this place, but James, uh, not, not erroneously, like no, no fault of his own, but he was like, let's go. Um, you guys have. Uh, different views. Let's tear each other's views apart, and it mm-hmm. sort of started on that foot, and then there we were. That's but, all right. I mean, that's what I'm used to. But uh, yeah, we yeah. can move past that, and we can drill into whatever text you want to. Can you tell me again? Let's start with. Did you say it was Genesis 14 with the Melchizedekian priesthood? Well, that's the first place that Melchizedek comes up uh, when he appears and, and brings out bread and wine to offer with Abraham, right? So Abraham ties to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek has a communal covenantal meal of bread and, and wine with him, which we see as a, uh-huh. a foreshadowing of the Eucharist, the bread and wine, right? Uh, but yeah. I'm, what I was saying about Abraham was that really, you know, it begins in 12. Well, animal sacrifice begins with Cain and Abel, right? So there's a, there's a requirement for blood. Uh, God requires the blood, not because he's vindictive, but because in our view, there's a long-term plan where the son of God is going to, through his willed death, his life wasn't taken from him. He willed to die through that human, uh, death that he underwent. He's going to destroy the power of death in human nature. That's our view. But so that's the long-term, uh, vantage point that God has for why, there's all of these, uh, you know, Old Testament uh, animal sacrifices from Abel up into Abraham. So I was just giving examples of um, wh- why we say God is requiring these animal sacrifices. But uh, uh, yes, in, in Genesis 14, if I recall, is the first uh, mention of Melchizedek. Okay. I'm not saying that's Jesus. I'm just saying that he's a priest that, that precedes historically the uh, Aaronic uh, Mosaic priesthood. Okay, so Melchizedek is a, a major player in the Urantia papers. 
he's a key aspect of understanding who Christ is. He's in fact like without him, none of it would make any sense. But it's, right, but, but, it's a slightly okay, different but, frame. Right. And so that's why I want to drill down okay. and understand this. And and let me see if I heard you right though. Is there okay. any spot where there's anything specific about Melchizedek and animal sacrifice, or is that just a link back to Adam and Eve? So it's sort of like a vicarious connection, well, or is there any passage about Melchizedek okay, right. having no, a he, sacrifice? No, uh, he does not. Uh, there's not a mention of animal sacrifice with Melchizedek. He offers bread and wine, but mm-hmm. the reason I brought him up was that he's a priest. And so, what does a priest do? A priest offers. Right. He does offerings to God. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so we're kind of making a leap there to me. If we say, oh, he's a priest, well, what does a priest do? A priest makes offerings, therefore the offering right. is related to Melchizedek. It's sort of not necessarily... No, it's not, because I complete. have multiple other texts that tell me who and what Melchizedek was up to and what he did and why he matters. So Psalm right, 110. Right, and you mentioned... Psalm okay. 110, you are a priest. This is a, a famous prophecy of Christ. You are mm-hmm. a priest eternally after the order of Melchizedek. Absolutely. To, well, so, well, who is that, though? Melchizedek? No. Who is David talking about in Psalm 110? Christ. Exactly. Right. So what I'm saying is that many of these things are predicting Jesus and what he's going to do. And I'm saying that Abel he's, predicts Jesus. He's going to fulfill saying, the covenant of Melchizedek. Yes. And, and, and in what way does that relate to uh, human or blood sacrifice. Because I'm saying all of these things are about Jesus. The Aaronic mm, priesthood, okay. Abel, yes. is about Jesus. Genesis 12 with uh, uh, Abraham is about Jesus. The predicted seed in your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's Jesus. Yes, right. Okay, but Jesus, so, is, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. He is God himself. He's a divine person. Right, so he's not a uh, he's not like a thing that God created first. He's fully God, and that's a unique point here. The, the reason I'm stressing that is that we believe that it's God becoming man that saves us. That is salvation. It's God mm. taking on human nature. You, we could not be saved other than that. Yeah, that's what I mean, my I'm Catholic friend that's a believes point too. Of departure between us. Yeah, it is. Big time. Okay. Are you familiar with theophanies? Like, so you have have these. Remind me. I don't. So this is like in, in, in many places in, uh, in Genesis where you have, what happens with Abraham, there's a theophany where God appears. And, uh, when Abraham sacrifices the animals, God appears and, uh, moves through the midst of the animals as their sacrifice. So this is for us called a theophany. When uh, Hagar sees God, she says, I have seen God himself, right? I've seen Yahweh. Uh, and so there's many, many places. It's judges, you know, all the way up into the prophets. Uh, Isaiah sees God. So for us, that's not God the Father, because no man can see God and live. But Moses goes up on the mountain and sees God face to face. So we have two things said. For us, that's the second person of the Godhead. That's Jesus. And that's why Jesus says that he was there with Moses. Jesus says, I am, multiple times. That means he's who's in the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, the I am. That same I am in Exodus 3.14 is mentioned in Exodus 23 as the angel or messenger of the Lord 
in whom the name of Yahweh exists. So the name of Yahweh is in this messenger. In other mm -hmm. words, he's divine. He's a divine person. Yeah. And he's worshiped, right? So in many of these instances of the theophanies, the saints who encounter this manifestation worship. And we know that the Ten Commandments says you can't worship creatures. You have to worship God. So they're worshiping and interacting with someone that the Father is designating as a separate, I don't mean separate in the sense of like parted, but a, a distinct personage. That is well, the Son of God. In, I might just be missing a problem in my logic, but for me, the concept of saying that Jesus is a a deity aspect of God that emanates from the Father. So in a way is that he's unified as well as distinct. To me, it's it, when I say that he is God, there's absolutely nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that while also seeing him as an emanation from the paradise eternal deity of God. He's the creative factor in our local universe of God. To me, it's like okay. if I... If I if I was if an analogy again, this doesn't prove anything. If I were to poke my finger into a fish tank and the fish saw my finger and said that's God, and I said no, it's just my finger. Well, he's right that it is God, and it's also right that it's just the finger. And so Jesus incarnating among us as a personality is God, but also God is not. Uh, he, his nature is completely revealed through the person of Christ. But he's also just God's finger poking into our reality. I mean, again, it's just an analogy. So it, he is God. But if you were say, to say he's the totality of God, well, that's actually quite, I mean, the finger is not the whole body. The finger is not the mind. The finger is not all of it. But the mind does control the finger and, in, and the body is absolutely represented by the finger. So uh, he is an immersion into our reality of something that's quite mystical and beyond human comprehension in mortal form, except through personal revelation and experience and communion with his spirit. He's a spirit. That's what God actually is. So when uh, that spirit becomes incarnated, what we're seeing is a representation of the spirit as a man among us. Mm -hmm. So Okay, I mean, I, I think what you're getting at is loosely what I'm trying to say with what a theophany is, except that like when I'm saying the angel of the Lord or uh, the messenger of Yahweh in the Old Testament presents himself, I'm right. saying that that's the second person of the Godhead, and it's fully God. It's not an emanation. It's not a lesser God. It's not a creature. It is God's eternal son. So we this is why we believe that, you know, uh, for, from all eternity, God has generated his son. He's eternally the father of an eternal mm -hmm. son. So it's not a temporal thing. It didn't have a beginning. It wasn't at the beginning of the world that he created Jesus. There's only this world that God created that we, I mean, there's many worlds in the sense of like planets and all that, but I'm saying the only universe world that we know about that's been revealed to us is this one. Okay. Right. So, yes. so, okay. So what I'm saying is that, that, that divine Up until the Urantia revelation, but that yeah. divine person, that's the second person of Godhead is this character that's showing up in all of these manifestations yeah. in the Old Testament. Okay, but that, that divine person is the same one who's present in the Gospels. So that's what I'm getting at is the continuity. So there's a continuity mm. between what's in the Gospels and what's in all these revelations to Moses. I mean, again, think of the text in Luke, right? At the end of the Gospel of Luke, it says, 
And Jesus opened to his disciples all the things written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. And Jesus says in, in John to the Pharisees, the scriptures cannot be broken. So there's not this notion of, oh, well, some of them are, are, are full of errors and they don't apply, but I'm, I'm going to take the ones that apply to the Urantia book. Do you see what I'm saying, how that's ad hoc? Like you, you can't have it both ways. Well, if, if I if I took everything in Luke as inspired and infallible, then I would have to agree with you. Okay, so again, what we're back to is your epistemic determinant is the Urantia book. And if that is the surpassing revelation, then you're going to need to give an account for the previous revelation, right? Because the things that I'm saying, right, are... I, I'm well, can I clarify a term right there? Okay. To me, the previous revelation isn't the Bible; it's Christ Himself. Okay. How do you? He know was the revelation Christ Himself. How do I know that the previous revelation was Christ? What you're calling previous revelation is not our revelation. Uh, you admitted that our revelation is previous; it's older, right? The text of the Bible is older than the text of the Urantia papers, right. correct? And the text of Moses, too, right? Uh-huh, right, the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, there's all of these statements about how it is the Word of God, it can't be broken, not one jot nor tittle will pass, right? But what I'm saying is, at every point, then when I bring up those verses, those are the ones that you don't accept, right? They, they're, those are wrong. Well, they're typically from Paul. No, I and, didn't give you any Paul texts. I just gave you gospel texts. Those are all from the gospels. The jot no tittle comes from Jesus, but which one about they can't be broken? At the end of Jesus says oh, that the, to the Pharisees in the book of John. The scriptures cannot be broken. And he was referring to the covenant. The Old Testament Abraham. law. No, he's talking about the scriptures because the Pharisees are arguing with him over the meaning of the scriptures and uh, uh when uh, it, it says, I am, right? Jesus says, I am, and Jesus is talking about Abraham, and he says, and the scriptures cannot be broken. So, but he clearly wasn't referring to anything Paul was about to write, or was he? But I, I'm not arguing about Paul right now. You're saying you don't accept what's in the Old Testament, right? You don't accept, anytime there's a verse that's a problem for your view, you don't accept it. Anytime well, there's a verse that the Urantia book says is good, you do accept it. And I'm saying you can't have it both ways. Well, didn't he say nothing will pass away until what? Not one jot or tittle from the law of Moses will pass until all things are fulfilled. And have, have they been fulfilled? No. Uh, that's why we don't think that the law of Moses is done away. And when will they be fulfilled? When he returns. Oh, I to mean, me, if you mean uh, ultimately, it, my, I mean, my he, understanding he, is that when they he, were fulfilled when he, died, when he, he came, said, when he died and he, and he said it is finished. Uh, I mean, that fulfilled many things and many prophecies in, in David's Psalms and whatnot, but not everything is fulfilled. I'm still I mean, he says, out, he says when he ascends, I will return to you. So that hasn't happened. Okay. Well, I'll have to work out an answer to that and, or figure it out for myself, uh, figure out what that means. Right. Well, uh, okay, but the, the bigger point is the 
on the one hand, uh, I want all of these verses, all these gospel texts will, will work for me. Then when I encounter a, a problem gospel text, I'm going to appeal to the Rancho book and toss that one out. So that is inconsistent. You can't have it both ways. You can't have a Jesus who says, oh, I'm going to accept Matthew 5, not one jot or tizzle will pass. I'm going to accept where he says at the end of Luke, everything in uh, Moses, prophets, the law is about me. And then I'm going to turn around and say, oh, but, but, I, there's but also why would I, law. why, but why do I have to accept what is said at the end of Luke? <laughs> because it's I mean, Luke was ad, written by a disciple of ad Paul. hoc. So you can't be ad hoc. Like you have to have a consistent principle of on what basis you're picking and choosing and being consistent here. So what I'm illustrating to you is that, and this is, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't just say, I'm going to pick and choose whichever verses I want. Don't you see that that's inconsistent because it's not even consistent with the acceptance of those books. It's not consistent with the acceptance of the, of the books. The books themselves tell you you can't pick and choose which ones you want and let them throw away. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, can I, let me push you on, press you on this. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be annoying. I mean, you keep saying you're trying not to be mean. I'm not trying to be annoying. Okay. And this may be, but I don't see that the books say you can't pick and choose from these books. I'm seeing Jesus having been recorded as saying that I'm going to fulfill the contract that was given to Abraham and okay, again, it will be so, fulfilled. So that's what so, that means to me. And then, but you're making it mean something that no, doesn't mean no. to me. Again, what I said earlier. So there's many places where the scriptures themselves identify the authority of the scriptures, right? So for example, Psalm 119 is a, a gigantic hundred plus verse Psalm where David goes into the authority of the law of Moses and the books of Moses. There's many places in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the law of Moses, the books of Moses. They can't be broken. They're not going to pass away. They're not errant. They don't have, they're not, they're not, he appeals to those books consistently. So if you're going to say that they have errors, now there's a problem for Jesus appealing to those books, right? If Jesus appeals to Genesis and you're going to say Genesis has errors, well, now Jesus is appealing to an erroneous, error-filled book, and now the Gospels have problems. So what I'm saying is that if you open up that that uh, uh, Pandora's box, the whole system collapses. And what you're doing, I'm not, again not be mean, but what you're doing is saying I'm just I'm only interested in the texts that prove my group. And I'm saying that that doesn't work because the books that you're appealing to don't let you do that. You don't have the right to do that. And that's what every cult does. Every cult says. I'm only going to accept what I want in the law of Moses, what I want in the Gospels. I'll throw out Paul, John, Revelation, whatever. But it's an issue of authority here, right? So the new revelation that comes has right. to be consistent with the previous revelation. The Urantia book is not consistent with the previous revelation any more than the Quran is consistent with it, any more than the Book of Mormon is consistent with it. It seems to me that you're building a way bigger case off of a little utterance while Jesus is dealing with a Sadducee or a Pharisee, I can't remember, a legalistic Jew who was trying to pin him down on a point of contention, and he made a reply to him, and then you're building a giant case off of that reply. Not only that one, but there's a few other little utterances. No, and maybe all, the I Psalm do, of David. all I have to do is go through the dozens and dozens of texts in the Gospels and the book of John 
where you have the 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 uh, appeals to and citations uh, from all of these different texts okay i mean you realize how many times the old testament cited in the new testament like it's constant right but a citing of it doesn't mean what you're saying it's that cited means. as the word of god man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god and again jesus is reading and citing and using these psalms that tout the book of Moses, they tout the authority of Moses, they tout the inspiration and inerrancy of all those books. And it, in fact, Peter goes so far as to say that it's the Spirit of Christ who spoke in every one of those Old Testament prophets. No Old Testament prophet spoke of his own will, but he spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, the words of God. So absolutely, Peter says that all the Old Testament prophets are speaking the word of God. So what I'm saying is that when you start to say, well, I'm just going to pick and choose, it's all over. Like the whole thing's done. You can't do that. You don't have the right to pick and choose which ones you want. This is wild. All right. Well, I really got my work cut out for me if I'm going to uh, combat you on that point. I I have to I have to concede that I'm not equipped to to battle you there because all I have is my opinion at this point. Well, I appreciate the I appreciate that. So, and you're always welcome if you want to. Uh we you know, we're in here all the time. Uh heart, sorry we got heated earlier, but uh, I'm glad that we had a good fruitful, you know, after conversation. So, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.